you know, we just don't make it in the world without others. And so we have an incredible responsibility to give back as a result. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Happiness Squad. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your full potential by mastering the art and science of happiness. We bring on the best leading experts on these topics to help you unlock your true potential and live with more joy, health, love, and meaning in your life. Your host is no other than the star combo of Ashish Katari and Anil Ramjiani, who are both on a mission to provide you with an unfair advantage to be the masters of your experience and leaders in your industry. Get ready to be moved, challenged, and enlightened on this podcast. It may change your life. Thanks for being here and joining the squad. Hey friends, it's great to have you with Ashish and I as we host guests who are industry leaders and experts helping individuals and organizations champion their potential and flourishing at work. Are you looking to shift from fear to embrace change and pursue your next big idea? Our upcoming guest is going to share her story and empower you that anything is possible. Meet Shannon Wallace, CEO of Cascade Leadership. She advises industry, independent sector, philanthropy, and C-suite executives on strategy, organization performance, culture change, and social responsibility. She's worked with over 20,000 leaders on six continents to launch big ideas and create new realities for their leadership, their teams, and organizations. She's worked with organizations in Fortune 500, including Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Coca-Cola, as well as nonprofits. She shares her knowledge and know-how to skillfully work through barriers that can hinder results. She's contributed to over five books and is the author of her own, which was inspired during her 500-mile trek in Spain. And the book is called We the Change, Launching Big Ideas and Creating New Realities. During this inspiring conversation, Ashish, Shannon, and I discussed several points. The beauty of synchronicity over coincidence. Visualizing, speaking, and becoming the change you wish to see, as well as the power of uniting masculine and feminine energy to empower and unlock potential in both self and in others. As you consider the nine hardwired for happiness practices, this episode truly delves into how you can both cultivate your purpose, awareness, and live with intention as you look to embrace change. We hope the tips and practices that we share can help you as they were truly eye-opening for me. So now join Ashish and I as we welcome Shannon to the Happiness Squad podcast. Shish, Shannon, it's an absolute pleasure to be with both of you. Shannon, thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday to be with us. We're excited to learn more about you. So one of the first questions we love to ask our guests as we welcome you on is your definition of happiness. And maybe you can also share with us, how has it changed since your younger years? So first of all, it's such a pleasure to be with both of you. And I'm really excited about this because this is something that's very present in my life. And it's interesting when I say it's present in my life because I think happiness begins with presence. So, and I really reflected on that. I loved your question about how, what is it now and how has it changed? And for me, I don't know that it's really changed, but I'll explain why. I think happiness is really about those moments when you are completely present in your, in your own body and self. And you're with others in community who are also completely present. And I think that's an incredibly rare space to be in. But it's in those moments when we're all present that I feel intense joy. 
And the reason it stands out to me is because when I reflect on that question and I think back to my childhood, I don't recall many moments of happiness. I didn't have it as a child. I grew up in a really dysfunctional family. And I can think of literally maybe three moments as a child. And when I think about those moments, what was true in those moments is we were all completely present. Nobody won, no one was distracted by alcohol, their mental illness, other dysfunction that existed. But in those three moments, everyone was completely present and it was joyful. So I, I think that stays true to this day. Sharon, earlier this week, I was in a retreat in Jamaica and I was looking for guidance around this work uh, and kind of especially as it unfurls in 2024. And the phrase, it's a song actually, that spoke to me and kind of to my core. And it's like, I can't even tell you how much it's it's become a, it is present with me and I'm going to be sitting, thinking a lot about is, is um, it's stillness in motion. It's stillness. It's presence. It's really allowing yourself to fall in the present moment but also being able to fall into the present moment, not necessarily by taking yourself away, but being able to find that in the day-to-day. Because, you know, you're talking about also this present moment that brings an opportunity to appreciate all that is going and not miss the journey, right? Forget to see the landscape and you get to the top and you're like, okay, that's great, now I got to come down. And you've completely missed everything on the way. And so many live through that. So I love that, that, you know, through your pain and through even though in those moments, the lesson for that that stayed with you was presence. Those moments when you could just be, where everyone just being with each other rather than doing or acting it out. Now it's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I want to say I thank you for the question because I don't know that I've really reflected on it before. So it was very moving for me because that's true happiness, true joy. And the way I moved myself out of my family situation was complete over achievement. And so I was really, for a very long time, I was on that treadmill of education. I mean, I went to Northwestern University. Basically, I could not afford to go to South Dakota State University. People don't believe that when I tell them that. But literally, my family was in the lowest 10% of the socioeconomic ladder. I could not afford to go there. Northwestern made it completely possible for me. And how did I get there? You know, academic excellence. I'm not an incredible athlete. You know, I, I wasn't going for some sort of different scholarship. I got there through academic excellence. And so that became different than happiness. My definition of success was achievement which can be very different from happiness. And yet it's nice when they go together. But, you know, so that's where I saw for a long time, I wasn't really clear about what happiness was. That resonates with me because one thing that Ashish and we've talked about with our guests is, you know, an achievement is that outcome. And if you're constantly seeking happiness is that achievement is that outcome, you miss the journey, the beautiful journey that you had at Northwestern, you were studying there. So when we all get caught up in that outcome, we lose sight of that present moment that you both are equally saying is important for happiness. One quote that a friend of mine shares with me is, be where your feet are in the present. You know, I would love to shift gears on the back of your message on academics versus athletics. I believe your husband is an Ironman. 
And one of the most amazing mantras is anything is possible. And I know you shared on a previous cast that that's something you share with your clients. Anything is truly possible. Could you maybe share a moment in your journey with us, Shannon, that empowered you with your own self-belief in this space? Well, I will tell you, I have a funny story around why I chose Northwestern and how I, I don't know it's about how I got in there, but when I was growing up, I had a friend, Jody. she'll probably die if she hears this. So Jody and I, we were in junior high and Jody had a brother, Gary, who was eight years older than us. And one day Jody looks at me and she says, you know, Shannon, you're smart, but you have to be really smart to go to Northwestern like my brother, Gary. And I thought, I remember there was this little spark that was, you know, lit inside of me that went, I'm going to that school. Now, realistically, I had known since the age of nine that college could be very difficult in terms of, I remember saying, I love school. And I remember asking my parents about what is this thing called college? And my dad said, well, college is where you go on for further education, but it costs a lot to do something like that. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm totally on my own. And so I'm holding that one belief. I'm totally on my own. And then I have this belief that I'm going to go to that school out of spite more than anything. And then it caused me, and then I got into high school and I really knew realistically, I don't know how this is going to happen until this other woman who later became a teacher, which I think is amazing because she was teaching even in high school, Barb Meyer. She was a year older than me. And she had asked me something about going to college and I must have said something to her to the effect of, I really don't know how I could do that. And then she told me about this amazing thing called financial aid, and I had hope that I could go. So I actually applied to Northwestern, and then I got in. And this is literally true. Before calling my mom to tell her that I had gotten the big envelope from Northwestern, I called Jody because I just wanted her to know. I did get into that school. It's possible. So I think, you know, I've had a lot of moments in life where something that seemed completely out of reach happened. And so I have a very strong belief also in manifestation. I think there's a lot of energy that goes into first seeing what you want, writing about what you want, and then speaking what you want. And I firmly believe in that. So I think if I could make such a massive change in my life from growing up in the bottom 10% of the socioeconomic ladder to where I am today, I'm not a celebrity. I have no extreme special skill. I am the true American dream. So if I can do it, I really believe anybody can do it. I do think that we often need a support system. We need guidance. And we need somebody cheering us on saying, it is possible. I try to share my story. I want to say, I'm very intentional about saying, I grew up in the bottom 10% of the socioeconomic ladder because I've worked on six continents. I have seen real poverty. And when other people in the United States who have not traveled like I have hear that, they'll say, oh, you grew up in poverty. I'm like, I grew up quite privileged. I had an education. I had a home. I had health care. Yeah, I grew up quite privileged. So Shannon, I love that story. And I love what you're just saying. And there are you know, a couple of things that really come up for me. I'm going to talk a little bit about the American dream. You know, like you, 
I came to the U.S., right? It's a little bit about the American dream. Anything is possible. You know, we grew up in the middle class. My mom was a PhD in maths. My dad was an engineer. But, you know, middle class in India growing up in the 70s and 80s really basically meant that if you want to actually have a job after you graduate, just you need to be the best of the best, right? There are people with PhDs pushing, selling fruit on the street. Let me repeat that for people. There are people who have PhDs who are selling fruit on the street in a cart, barely scraping by, maybe eating one meal a day. And so this notion, right, was early. But when I came to the U.S., you know, I came with $5,000. I was 23. That was my first trip out of the country. I came with $5,000, which was a loan from my employer, IBM, and the phone of one person, one person's phone number. I had a return ticket and one person's phone number who was going to house me for two weeks till I opened a bank account and could get into an apartment. And fast forward that, you know, where along the way I got my MBA, Chicago, anyway. You know, when I left McKinsey, I mean, it was like truly, right, at 42 when I had my own, I think I've shared that in on the podcast, when my own, my first bout with anxiety. It was, you know, everything was green, right? Like, I mean, we were doing really, really well financially and professionally and all of that. So I'm with you around anything is possible. So, I mean, that stood for me. And I think there is a second part of that manifestation piece, Shannon, which I'm also experiencing. Because, you know, with manifestation, in effect, you're basically sending out. This is what I deeply believe in. And I do think if it's in the service of another, you're attracting that. And people go like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, is that really possible or not? But I think there is a second part of that also. Because I've been such a big recipient of that, Shannon, is in this work over the last year and a half, because it's grounded in a bigger why around truly alleviating suffering, you know, in the world and helping people recognize that no matter where you are, you've got the resources within you to master your inner worlds, right? It doesn't matter. It does not matter what you're swimming in out there. You've got the resources. Anything is possible. I've experienced the other part, which is if you let it, the universe conspires in mysterious ways to literally get you things that you don't even know you need. And here's the story for that. So we had a guest, Juni, on our podcast, and I wanted to tell the story of how Juni came into my life. I was actually, I had decided through Vipassana, I had gone on a retreat. I had this inspiration to create this program called Rewire, which is all around the science of habit formation, to say, hey, listen, if we took these practices, if we just formed habits, how amazing would that be? You know, there would be simple things we do because we do most of our things we do out of habits, Right. And so I was like, this is what we're going to do. So I had written this, you know, I had written basically the course. It had come to me in this Vipassana. It literally flowed into me in a one-hour meditation, Janet. And so I had written this up, okay? I had written it up, and I was just talking to a friend of mine, not about the course. We were just catching up. And he said, hey, I love what you're doing. I want to connect you to this friend of mine, Junie. And I said, sure. She's like, she, she, you love talking to her because she also does all this stuff. He's All this stuff, right? And I was like, okay. So I talked with her. And so I said, sure. So I called her. This was three weeks, three weeks, Shannon, before we were going to go record in a studio, the masterclass. I call her and she says, oh my God, do you know I teach tiny habits with BJ Falk at Stanford? Talk about that. And she literally edited all of our scripts for what is in Rewire. How do you describe that if you don't describe it with this notion of, you know, things just coming your way? And this is just one out of like 100 stories, Shannon. I have so many similar stories. 
And I really do believe there's a power of not just thinking something, but truly sharing it with others. That's where, you know, like when my book that I published a couple of years ago is called We the Change. And one of the fundamental lessons in it is we stands for, well, we has a double meaning. You know, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. But as I've reflected on that, none of us does that alone. So that's where I came up with we. When we really make something happen, I mean, for years, I thought I was alone. I really thought I had achieved everything on my own. I was blind to how many people had supported me. And that sounds incredible to me now, but I, I was truly blind to it. Nothing, nothing happens without the support of those around us. So that's the we, that's the collective. And I think, how do you get it out into the collective? By sharing it. So when you shared that with your friend, that made, oh, you've got to meet Junie. So that makes the connection. And then you find these pieces. And I really feel like, because I believe in something that goes beyond us, that our souls are kind of conspiring on our behalf that they desperately want us to manifest in the world in this physical form, what I think is just pure love for all of us to be truly at our highest potential. And the more we can express that, the more we connect in with that universal source. And then it connects us kind of as in a river to the resources we most need. But there's certainly a lot of things that can get in our way. So I love that story because I think that's the way, <laughs> I believe in synchronicity, not coincidence. Absolutely. That's the way it's supposed to happen. That's the way it's meant to be, right? And you mentioned your we the people, the we is so important, Shannon. And you know, I want to have our listeners do this exercise and I'm gonna do it with one object, which is my glasses, but you can do it with any, anything that is in front of you, okay? And it's a deeper form of gratitude exercise. So imagine something that you're grateful for in your life. For me, let's say it's glasses, because literally as I take my glasses off, if you were seeing on video, Shannon just appears like this blur because I can't actually see any part of her face. It's all kind of a blur. I can't barely see an ill, right? But just imagine any object that you're used to. It might be your phone, your headphones, anything that you're doing right now. And just notice how many people are involved in that, just that simple thing we take for granted, glasses. Think about the fact what life would be if you couldn't see. But now think about all the people who are involved in this. And I'm going to take you through this example of a glass. For those who wear glasses, come on this journey with me. You could do it for anything in your life. First, think about the person who invented glasses. They didn't invent it when they did. You wouldn't be able to function in the world. Then think about the material. Think about the glass itself and the company that made the glass. Think about the people who mined the material, silicate, that made the glass. Think about the people who were involved in creating the mining equipment that made the mining of silica possible. Think about the people who worked in manufacturing, many earning minimum wage, who forged that into glass. By the way, think about the same for the frame and everything else. Now think about the hundreds of thousands of people who were involved in that product reaching the shelf. Think about the doctor who actually diagnosed you with what's the perfect lens for you. You will notice in even something as simple as a pair of spectacles, there are millions of hands that are part of us getting that glass, that glasses that we're seeing. And we live in this false illusion 
that everything we have done, I have done, it is me. It is not. We fundamentally are a we. Ubuntu, you are, so I am. We are living in a state of interbeing. And once we ground ourselves in that, so much of our suffering, the resistance, the fight against the world goes away. And I love that, Shannon. We, you know, is so beautiful in your book. That so spoke to me. Hi, friends. We hope you're enjoying the tips discussed in this episode. If you're on the career treadmill, seeking the next promotion, experiencing stress and anxiety, or reached the top of your career and wondering if the sacrifices to get there were worth it, Ashish and I have been there, and we're ready to support you. The Happiness Squad Rewire program is designed to integrate the nine hardwired for happiness practices into your day within five minutes. Form proven habits to experience more success, resilience, satisfaction, and creativity. You won't be alone in your journey. Check out the Rewire link in the show notes. Make happiness your competitive edge to achieve your goals. Now, back to the episode. And I love what you're saying because it's interesting because in your, I can't remember if you call them practices or pillars of happiness. Practices, yeah. For me, the two that really, I, mean, I think all of them are beautiful. I think I practice most of them. Uh, the the two that really resonate with me right now, so it's kind of interesting connection, is one is around self-awareness for me right now. It's I think it will always be because self-awareness brings me to presence. And then, and like I say, I think that's the foundation. I do leadership development work and organizational change work today. And I think presence is the leading edge of leadership development right now. And the second one is gratitude. So the fact that you told this story, uh, and that's what I do think about, like gratitude. I, I'm, gra I'm so grateful for just the little things that I have in my life. And I think it's, Sometimes, you know, I think it's easy to forget that, to forget to be grateful. And I'm just, I mean, I, like I said, I come from a really humble background. I don't take for granted what I have, what my family has achieved. And that's really, it really, as you, you can tell, maybe tell I'm a little bit emotional. It's, it really touches me because, you know, we just don't make it in the world without others. And so we have an incredible responsibility to give back as a result because, and that's the part that I feel like we're missing a bit today. You know, just, I want to kind of take a step back as I, before we shift to the next question and, and talk a bit more about your journey to Camino de Santiago, just three things. One, the power of visualization, right? So for our listeners out there, you can generate optimism. And I'm going to refer back to Ashish and, you know, when I did my RioIR certification, one of the micro practices is generating optimism. It is powerful and it is possible. In fact, when I used to do my race events, I would actually visualize and then I would actually talk it and I would actually walk it. The second piece is just the power of gratitude and how power of gratitude, just the example you each gave, you know, I love how you said it, synchronicity, not coincidence, how you're able to leverage gratitude to power up your optimism. So if you find yourself in a moment of weakness, in a lull, just look around you, gratitude, visualization, walking the talk, that power is within and it will come out. And on the back of that, this is where I want to shift now, Shannon, and talk about your amazing journey down the ancient Camino de Santiago. You've already referenced your book, and maybe you can kind of maybe share with our listeners the big idea. What was the key message that you wanted to capture and relay to your audience within the book 
that you experienced as you trekked 500 miles across Spain on Camino de Santiago? Well, how much time do we have? But more seriously, <laughs> um, I could go on and on. But okay, so there's 11 lessons in the book. Each one has significant meaning for me. So let me back up just a little bit and say that from the context of the book, I, I've already established I'm not an athlete. And I mean that seriously. Like I don't, my hand-eye coordination isn't great. If you I'm have a body, an you are an athlete, Shannon. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I move. Nike, so if you have a body, you have an athlete. <laughs> yeah. I move, I walk, and like a 180 is in my house of an Ironman triathlete. What I do have is incredible endurance. That That's the thing that's helped me make the shift in my life. It's the thing that helped me walk the Camino. But I want to start with this idea of when I walked 500 miles, or for some of your listeners, 800 kilometers across northern Spain, I had never hiked before. So I wasn't an athlete. I had never hiked. My idea of a hiking boot is, oh, those are really cute and would look good with my pack. I had no clue whatsoever. And so for me, you know, getting from the, you know, Pyrenees of on this French Spanish border in northeastern Spain, all the way over to northwest Spain, you know, going through like intense cold, walking through mountains, et cetera. I mean, everything that I had to do, I had never done before. And I use this as a metaphor for how do we as individuals launch a big idea or create a new reality. Because if you're a CEO standing in the Pyrenees who says, let's go to Santiago, the CEO can hop in the jet and then be in Santiago de Compostela in 30 minutes. Whereas during that time frame, his pilgrims, the employees are still sitting in the Pyrenees, just lacing up their boots and they're going to walk for 30 days. So how do you keep them, you know, energized, focused, you know, able to move beyond despair to get to their destination when the CEO's already gotten there, looked around at the cathedral and said, oh, let's go to Lisbon and is off again. And so that's where when I walked it, I'd never done anything like that before. And then it came to me after I walked it, given the work that I do in both personal, professional and organizational change, that this is a fantastic metaphor. But even I didn't fully understand it until years had gone by and I had done deeper study in both organizational change and professional change to be able to look back and reflect on what did I actually experience? And so the book, as I go through it, it tell the story of, which is a very personal story, but then I break it down into 11 parts or 11 chapters because each one has a lesson. And that's then connected with what I know now to be true from things like psychology, neuroscience, physics, and why we're able to make something new emerge. But I want to go, so your question is, what was really like, what is one thing I really want to land with people? And I would say there are two things that stand out more than anything for me. One is what's called the DVFR model of or formula for change. That's the first. And then the second is this concept of we the change. None of us are going it alone. So let me just step back and I'll take DVFR. And then if you have any questions about that, we can talk about that because we've already talked about we the change just a little bit. But in DVFR, there are three elements and it's a formula and it's a multiplication equation. So the three elements that overcome the last piece are resistance to change, are dissatisfaction of your current state, vision 
of your future state and first steps to close the gap between those first two. So the first steps to close the gap between dissatisfaction of your current state and vision of your future. If any one of those is missing, it's a zero. Because it's a multiplication product formula, the product is zero and you do not overcome resistance to change. And it's that simple. There are so many models out there for change. I've studied most of them and it always comes down to that. What's your vision? Where are you at? So what's getting in the way of the vision? And what are a few steps you can take to get started? Not all of the steps because we can't always predict what they are and that can often defeat people because they think, I can't think of everything I'll need to do. You don't need to. You just need to figure out the first couple. That gives you momentum. And I always tell people, one of the first steps is engage your supporters. Find them, identify them, tell them what you want. They will have ideas that make your idea even better. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because there's a double meaning in We the Change, which is women empower the change. The W-E is capitalized for a reason. I did this because my mother, who only had a high school education, worked in a minimum wage job, and that's why we lived in the lowest 10% of the socioeconomic ladder. And when that happened, my mother's an amazing artist. She had beautiful ideas about how she could put her art into the world, world in the form of cards, but she had no support and she was just barely getting by. So I wanted people to know that you can have a coaching guide in your back pocket, literally on your phone, if you download the Kindle and you know the Kindle app for your phone and you can buy, I keep my Kindle book intentionally at 99 cents. So anybody can access the book and the workbook. You can go to my website, cascadeleadership.solutions and download the workbook for free. I mean, my book wasn't about for me making money. It was about getting the message into the world about how we make change happen. Because I don't know about you, but I am dissatisfied with the current state of things. Yeah. And it's, you know, Shannon, women empower. You said empower the change, right? It's so powerful. And if I may build build on that, you know, I think sometimes for a lot of men that can be threatening. And, you know, what I would say is don't think about this as women, but really think about what Shannon is talking about is the feminine energy that lives in all of us. That's what you mean. I know that's what you mean. But this is the point, friends. In our world where we are, more women are forced or almost forced to be more masculine because in order to get ahead, they, you know, it's like that's what I need to get ahead. And most men feel that is what I need to keep doing. And the reality is the reason we have a deepening crisis in the world right now, where in almost for the first time, Shannon highlighted this, but imagine this, in every theater, ecological, economic, political, humanitarian, racial, like in every aspect of existence, never before has this been true. Never before. Even in World War II, there was a lot of human sufferings. We were fighting with other countries, but we weren't fighting within countries, within ourselves. Ecologically, we hadn't kind of gotten to a place where hurricanes and fires and like the whole earth was revolting against almost what I would say the existence of us humans saying stop or you'll be you know or you'll lose this today we have that and we are deepening the crisis and I think for me one of the fundamental things that is from that is this notion of 
hardwiring for fear. But when we are afraid, because there is a fundamental imbalance between masculine and feminine energy, the move that most men take when they're afraid is I'm going to use force, I'm going to control, I'm going to push my way, you know, towards kind of making the change so I get less uncomfortable, so I get less afraid, I address the threat. And what's needed so much more is not power and physical, but love and connection and that feminine energy that can inspire and bind and support each other to be at their best self, to be their bravest self, to be their kindest self, to be fundamentally in relationship with other. Because through that, we can create the change. We cannot do it by force. And that's what I love about the we, Shannon. I love the women in power. Ashish, thank you for sharing that insight on the feminine energy. I think it's something that is overlooked. You know, one final question as we look to wrap up on this part of uh, our conversation, Shannon, is I think our listeners maybe are fearful of change. You know, they're uncomfortable being uncomfortable. When you talk about the big idea from your book and the 11 lessons that you've imparted on your readers, could you kindly share with our listeners one or two of those lessons that you feel are practical that they could almost integrate into their day from today to start to see how they can embrace that change as they look and visualize ahead? I'd like to share two. So the first is, well, maybe three. Okay. I'll just, the first thing is walk in the world with a mindset that anything is possible. And I know that can sound cliche. I am evidence of that it can be true. And if you don't believe it's true today, could you believe by observing other people that it could be true? And if that's true, just hold that. Anything is possible, it could be true. The second is start noticing what you truly want. Your soul is calling for it. And we can spend more time in part two around how do you get to what is the actual essence of what you want? Because it's usually not a material thing. It's something much deeper than that. But focus on what you want, start noticing that, and then ask yourself what I have found to be the most impactful coaching question that I have, what is getting in the way of having it today? What is getting in your way? And just notice what emerges because that's a really deep question. And it usually goes beyond capability, which is your skills or your capacity, your time, and often can go into a space of character. What's really getting in my way, a belief about myself that I might not be worthy, a belief that no one will help me. There's a lot that can be unpacked in there. So what do you want? What's getting in the way? And come at it that with anything is possible. I know that can be true, even if it's not true yet for me. I love it. And friends, notice when you answer the question, and at the first level, which I said, what's getting in the way? You might say, you know, my external situation or somebody else out there or a boss or a colleague or my wife or my whatever, you know, whatever it is you come, just know one thing. I found this quite powerful and I, so I'll share that with you. Take your finger and point to that thing, okay? Point with your index finger, point to that thing that you're saying is getting in the way. And notice for the one finger pointing there, three are pointing back at you. So don't stop at the first of what's getting in the way. Dig deeper. Because going back, we can be the change. And often, even though there might be something out there, the responsibility for the change lies with us. Our ability to respond is always 
present. And if we lean into that, and if you follow many of the lessons in Shannon's book, anything is possible because you have the ability to make the change by being the change, right? By being the change. Shannon, thank you. This is part one of a two-part episode that we have with Shannon. So we're going to wrap up here, but come back because we have so much more. And it'll give an overview of what we're going to have in the second episode. So we are actually going to dive deeper into what Shannon has shared, some of those lessons from her book, which if I'm honest with both of you, just hearing what you left on, I have an invisible barrier that I feel sometimes gets in my way. And I want to be able to identify how I can embrace that change. And so that's what we get to look forward to, as well as some anecdotes from Shannon's background and her experience at Microsoft as the global head of their talent development program. So we'd love to hear more from your anecdotes, your insights, your practices, as well as why you find this partnership beneficial and fruitful. So thank you, Shannon. Again, your book is available on Kindle for 99 cents for those that want to access it. Keep that workbook handy. It's also available for free on your website. Truly grateful, Shannon. Thank you for your and Ashish's time today. Look forward to speaking to you in the new year. Best wishes. Thank you. And it's been such a pleasure to be in presence with both of you today. Thank you. Thank you, my dear friend. Till the next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode on the Happiness Squad podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen to us on. If you enjoyed the tips discussed, looking to combat stress, burnout, or seeking deeper fulfillment or navigating life transitions, then our Rewire program is designed for you. Rewire is your key to unlock your full potential to experience more success, resilience, satisfaction, and creativity. Make happiness your competitive edge. Check out the show notes and learn more about how you can benefit by rewiring away from fear. In between episodes, follow along on Instagram at myhappinesssquad for tons of tips, insights, and short videos designed just for you. Until next time.